Welcome to the Art Stories Podcast. So there I was, standing in front of a group of strangers attending a football game, being cursed out about Doritos. A minute or two later, Taylor Swift comes out and she like smiles that all-American Nashville smile and she she introduces herself, she shakes my hand. Hey, I'm Taylor. Hey, I'm the groom. We're bringing you true personal stories told in the Southern tradition and recorded in front of a live audience. I caught just enough of the video to see a very large man making this slow walk toward a van, wearing absolutely nothing but his underwear and coated in grease. And I'm going to stop right there, and the rest of it is history. I'm your host, Chris Kinsley. You know when you have some huge, important event coming up in your life and you can't quite get it out of your mind? Like you keep running through your big presentation you've got to give at work or you go over and over and over every potential outcome or the way that you hope your conversation is going to go with that certain someone. You know, we've all been there in one way or another. And since that's the case, we also all know what it's like whenever things don't go quite as we had planned. And that is the case for each of our storytellers today. But before we get to them, I do want you to know that there is a small amount of adult language in today's episode. So if you need to save this one for later or get the headphones on, I'll give you just a moment. All right. This first story comes from an event we hosted back in 2015 where our theme was Love is a Battlefield, Stories of Love and Heartache. Here's storyteller Corey Elliott. So bear with me, I'm going to tell two. Okay, my first story, I was engaged once. My second story is a lot longer. It's, that's all you need to know. My second story is, it's a lot longer. We'll go more into detail, okay? So that was my first one, moving on. Uh, my second story starts with the next girl, right? And the next girl, um, you know, I, I thought I had it figured out, well, you know, I'm going to get it right this time. I'm, I'm going to get it right. This is the next girl. I, um, uh, I see a band that's playing. She's in a band. She's blonde. I'm like, that girl is dope. And uh, I'm like, so uh, we exchange numbers. She lives in Florida. I live in Alabama now. And, and we start this long-distance relationship. But it's going great. It's going awesome. Like, we're getting pretty serious. It's, it's like, you know, we're about six months in. And it's, it's to, to the point where I'm buying her very expensive-looking jewelry. Not like, not like real expensive jewelry. I mean, it was $10 off Amazon is what it was. It was like a $10 locket off Amazon. She's like, oh, my gosh, I love it. But it was really not expensive. My mom, like, worked at Pandora over, like, the Christmas holidays. So I'm like, here's, like, a Pandora bracelet. She's like, oh, my gosh, that's so expensive. I'm like, I got it for free. But uh, I didn't tell her that. Don't tell her that. Um, but it's getting serious. You know, I'm, like, I'm painting her paintings with her name in it and my name in it and like you know we're getting we're getting serious okay and so everything is going great and and we 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 battle through the fights we have arguments and we work through them and we have um you know talks we're like well where are we going to live like if if we ever end up together where are we going to live are we going to live in Atlanta are we going to live in in Birmingham or, or Orlando where she's from and we're having those conversations and we've had arguments but there's this argument and it did not go 
well. It was kind of the make it or break it um, um, thing, uh, argument. And I, we could just tell that this was, this one was tough. It was thick. And uh, um, guys, if your girl ever says like, I think we should go on a break. You're an idiot. Don't go on breaks because <laughs> breaks is like, break is the first part of break up, right? So <laughs> don't go on a break. Like, no, they don't go on a break. So she says, I, I just think we need to go on a break. And I was like, okay, all right, it's fine. Like, I'm strong, whatever. And so she says, let's just like not talk for a week. And we're in the moment, you know, where we're like, I was supposed to go to Thanksgiving with her family. Like, we're that serious. We're like a year in now. And uh, I'm supposed to go to this cabin in Georgia where her family has rented out for Thanksgiving. I said, like, look, I'm not going. I'm going back home to Kentucky where I'm from. And I'm going to spend Thanksgiving with my family. You can have your break. And uh, I'm going to, like, I'm going to have my break. And we're just going to not talk for a week. We'll reconvene after Thanksgiving. Time when you're supposed to be super thankful. And I'm super bummed. And so... (laughs) It's, it's miserable, guys. Like, to give you, to give you a, a picture of what it's like is I'm, I'm, I'm at home with my parents and my brothers and my family, and, like, everybody's just in this great mood, and I'm just down. I'm just in the dumps. I'm, every single day, I am sitting on the couch with two wiener dogs and a pug named Tank, and I'm, <laughs> and I'm watching The Price is Right over and over. I'm just, I'm just stroking my puppies. And, like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and stuff. <laughs> Let me, let me put it to you this way. I'm, t- I'm choosing to take a bath over a shower. Okay, it's that kind of sad. Like, <laughs> it's that, it's that kind of sad. I'm just, I'm just, I'm gonna take a bath. Like, mom, mom, where's your jacuzzi? You got the jets? Like, where's the bubble bath at? And I'm, I'm taking baths, like, and it, it's awful. I'm just so sad. And, uh, um, just miserable, just, you know, thinking of uh, how do I get, how do I get her back? Like, I thought this was the one, I thought this was my girl. Like, this is gonna, this is gonna be forever. Like, I can't get it wrong twice, right? Like, this is gonna be, she's the one. And uh, so I'm sitting, watching Prices Right with my dogs, and, uh, um, and I'm scrolling through Instagram, and I'm, I'm just scrolling, sad, and I see an Instagram of her brother. Her brother Instagrams this picture, and he has the picture of the cabin, like, great, you know, Thanksgiving about this, this beautiful Georgia scenery or whatever. And on Instagram, there's this little thing where you can have a location. And the location gives you the exact GPS coordinates to where they're located. Yes. <laughs> so I've been hearing, come on down for a week, right? So... <laughs> so like, yes, light bulb. I'm like, wait a second. I have her exact coordinates of where she is in Georgia. I can get directions like this, boop, 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 and just put in, put in the coordinates, and I, ha- I know exactly where her family is in this cabin. So I, I sit on it for like a day, and I, again, come on down, come on down, come on down, like next contestant. And in my, in my mind, I'm just sitting there moping around, and I tell my mom and my dad, I wake up at like 6 in the morning, and I'm like, Mom, Dad, I'm going. I'm going to Georgia. And they were like, that's a terrible idea. And I was like, no, it's not. It's great. Like, my mom was like, honey, you just shouldn't. I'm like, yeah, I should. I got to. I've seen the notebook. Like, I like, <laughs> like, they want you to chase them. Like Garth Algar, like in Windsor, they love it. Ladies love. You want to be chased, right? Ladies, you want that. Right? So 
so they want that. So, <laughs> so <laughs> ladies want to be chased like that. So I'm like, man, this is, this is my moment. Like this is the story. And so here, here we go. So I leave and I put it in and in dead silence in my Jeep, we make the trip to Georgia, just dead silence. I'm turning on the radio. I'm just thinking in my head how this is going to go down. And I'm just like, I hope it's going to be raining because <laughs> that's more romantic. I was like, I, I think that like, I just imagine her just like seeing my car. I get in my car and we just have this embrace moment, like doves fly around. Maybe one drops like an engagement ring and I, not like my previous engagement ring, a new one. I like, uh, and like, and I propose and like, she just says, I love you. And we kiss and make out in front of her parents or whatever. And then like, and it's just like, we're together. And that's how I see it. I see like, and then at the end, I just like put on my Beats headphones, like, and Richard Sherman's next to me. And like that song, like this plays like, I'm the man, I'm the man, I'm the man. And like, that's how I think it. I think it's going to happen. It's a, it's a Beats commercial and it's like a love story. They're going to make a movie about this. And, uh, um, <laughs> So, uh, but that, that's not how it went down, and I'm, we'll get into that. So, I go, and I'm a little bit away. I'm probably like 20 minutes away, and I'm getting nervous, and I'm replaying this over my What am I going to say? I'm just going to pledge my undying love to this, to this girl. And we go, and it says, like, here's the Georgia cabin, whatever, and it's a gated community where you need, like, a key card to get in. So, I'm like, ah! and start crying. <laughs> and I... I can't call anybody. What am I going to say? So I was just like, so I sit there and I'm just sitting there, like, what's supposed to happen? Like, I know I'm supposed to go. I wait in my car for 30 minutes just at the gate. And it says very, very big and clear, like, trespassers will be prosecuted. Like, no trespassing. Um, but I don't care if it's for love. And uh, so, so the gate <laughs> opens up and a car exits. And as soon as the car exits, I boom, just get in there. Get in there after it. And I'm like, I don't care. Here we go. Let's, we're in, this, in it to win and uh, so then, so we, uh, I, I go, and I, I'm looking at the little red dot on my phone where her exact cabin is, and I pull up to a cabin, and there is nobody there. It is deserted. It's not the cabin that I'm looking for. And so then, more tears, just, you know, and then I go to the next cabin, like down the driveway, nothing, nobody. And then I get, so then I'm, I'm lost. And for an hour, an extra hour, I'm just driving around. Looking for cabins, looking for who's here, who's on vacation for Thanksgiving. And uh, um, I see like maybe one car and I'm like, that's, I know that's not her car. I know that's not it. And so I'm getting pretty distraught. And there's about one more driveway and it goes down this mountain. And as I pull to the driveway, a blue car comes up and it's her other brother. It is her brother. And he sees me through his windshield and just kind of goes, like, wow, you're not supposed to be here. And uh, so he gives me the, hmm. But after he gives me the, hmm, look, he goes, yes. He gives me the nod. And I was like, that's what I needed. That's what I needed. It's good. It's good. Kind of like, yep, you're here. Okay. So I drive down, I drive down the driveway. <laughs> I drive down the driveway. And in the driveway, first person, I think, of course, it's going to be her that I'm going to see. I see her parents, and they love me. And I'm just like, hey, I'm the, I'm the idiot that just drove like six hours, like stalking your daughter or whatever. Um, but I love her. And uh, so I just said like, hello, <laughs> Miss, <laughs> to her parents. 
give him a good old handshake. And, uh, but, but my girlfriend and her brother, uh, her other brother, are down. She's got a lot of brothers. Um, her other brother are down like by like this r- beautiful river, and I see them have this quick like, oh shoot, what? Uh, I didn't let him in. Did you let him in? Like kind of like, who, who, why is he here? I don't know. And they're freaking out. It's not good. It's not the whatever moment um, <laughs> that I was picturing. And uh, so we, got, she comes up, and I, I shut I, I shut my door, car door, and I did the handshake to her parents, and I see. Um, I see her, and she does not have on her $10 Amazon locket necklace or her Pandora bracelet. And I'm like, shoot, it is, it's not raining, it, there's no doves, and I'm like, this is not going the way I think it's going to go. And when, you know, she gives me, I don't know, some bullcrap answer about being a Levite, and when she read in the Bible that she's supposed to travel and not have um, not, I don't know. I don't even know. I still can't tell you today why we broke up. But she said, like, I just was going to travel. And I'm like, so you're called a singleness? And she's like, no, I'm not saying that, but just not with you. And I'm like, oh, okay, great. Um, you're my wife wasted. Uh, so anyways, so we break up and I'm sad and I'm crying and she's like stone cold stunner, just like not, not emotional at all. And I'm like, what are you doing? Um, so I'm just like a baby, just crying, and it's, God, it's the moment where it's like, okay, well, I hate your guts now, and uh, <laughs> I'll forgive you later. I'll forgive you at some point. And so I take the first step to my car, and it's soft, and I had stepped in the biggest pile of dog shit <laughs> that there ever was, like, like lab, like lab. <laughs> yes equals the conversation I just had. So, so I get in my car, and then I, I can't drive back to Kentucky because it's, you know, we just finished Thanksgiving. So I drive back to Birmingham in silence. I'm calling everybody, just crying. I called my boss. I called my boss. Who calls their boss? <laughs> my boss is not sympathetic at all. He's like, well, don't sit in the couch and just watch Netflix all day. <laughs> okay. And... Uh, <laughs> I'm calling everybody. I'm calling my roommates. I'm calling like my friends and just we broke up. And so then I have to go back to my apartment and uh, uh, and just took a bath. So (laughs) thanks, guys. Corey Elliott is a student minister, and you can check him out on Instagram at Corey Elliott. That's Elliott with two L's and two T's. Now, our next storyteller also has trouble with a very important conversation he's having with a, well, let's call her a special lady. But believe it or not, the stakes in this conversation are even higher. This one comes from an event we hosted in 2014 with the theme of Spark, Stories About Inspiration. Here's storyteller Sean Bess. So growing up, I wanted to be an entertainer. And uh, in elementary school, I wanted to be a comedian. In middle school, I wanted to be an actor. Um, High school rolled around. I thought I wanted something a little edgier for my life as high schoolers are known to want. So of course, I I decided to be a musician. 
And then my band played at uh, our high school talent show. And um, a girl held up a sign that said, uh, Mr. Best, tear it up in my pants, which turned out to be far too edgy for my taste. So um, I redirected and went back to the former, <laughs> former ambition of, of being an actor and decided to audition at a, uh, at a talent agency. Um, we were told to have a monologue ready for the audition, and uh, I chose Matt Damon's monologue from Saving Private Ryan. Um, in the movie, Damon's character, he, he loses all of his brothers in World War II, and towards the end of the film, he recounts his most recent memory of his brothers, the last time all of them were together. Um, the monologue involves this detailed description of a makeout scene, right? in which one of the brothers struggles uh, to, remove one of his, to remove his girlfriend's bra. And it's actually a really poignant moment in the film, but what I didn't realize was that towards the, toward, um, that the audition, it wasn't one-on-one, -on -one. It, it was a group audition. So um, I showed up, they brought all of us together into one room, guys and girls, adults and children, and there was this, there was this massive runway in the center of the room and uh, they told us, when your name is called, you, you make your way up to the runway. If you're a model, you're gonna walk to the end, you're gonna strike a pose, you're gonna walk back, you're gonna strike a pose, you're gonna sit down. If you're auditioning as an actor, you're gonna walk to the end, you're gonna perform your monologue, you're gonna sit back down. Um, so I'm nervous, I'm, I'm sitting in my seat, um, I'm looking around the room, kind of waiting for my name to be called, I'm, I'm looking at all these like fresh apple-cheeked children, and, and it occurs to me, you know, this, this monologue from an R-rated war film is not gonna go over very well. This just isn't the right audience. Um, but there was nothing I could do about it at this point short of getting up and, and leaving the room. So um, my name was called. And uh, kind of stumbled to the end of the runway and um, started performing the monologue. And things were going fine, great even, um, right up until I got to the portion of the monologue dealing with the makeout scene, specifically the bit uh, where the brother is wrestling with his girlfriend's bra um, at which point the owner of the talent agency, who happens to be sitting directly in front of me, she lifts her clipboard and covers her face and begins whispering to one of the talent agents seated next to her. Now, she could have been saying something like, this, this kid's going to be a star, but, <laughs> but I, I wasn't delusional enough to believe that. Even still, I pressed on. I, I continued to kind of power through the monologue right up until she, she lifted her clipboard up into the air. Okay, okay, she said, that, that's enough. Um, and then with that, she handed me a, a scratch sheet of paper uh, with a Twizzlers advertisement written on it. I had spent hours going over this monologue, preparing, and, um, and she hands me three lines from a Twizzlers ad. Um, so I read it, and I was deflated. I just felt utterly defeated. And then I kind of, like, slouched back to my seat. Um, and I sat there once again, looking around the room at all of these now blushing prepubescence, and <laughs> sitting next to their parents who were kind of like clutching at their pearls in horror. Um, the girl sitting next to me leaned over and she whispered, that was awkward. <laughs> and, it, and it was, it was awkward. Uh, to my everlasting surprise though, they, they decided to represent me. Um, several months later, I got a call from my contact at the agency, her name's Misty. Uh, Misty called me and she said, uh, we've got a job for you, and um, it's for a CD, it's a photo shoot. I know you didn't, you, you auditioned as an actor, but you know, it's, it's, it pays well. Um, all she would tell me, though, is that I was going to be a groom in this photo shoot. I explained to Misty that I had just been hired on at uh, Olive Garden, 
and that I, I might be busy, you know, carting around all-you-can-eat salad and breadsticks. And, and she said, well, you know what, I think this is a great opportunity. I really want you to do it, but if you can't, I understand. Uh, a few days later, I was able to get my shifts covered, and um, I made the drive to Nashville, Tennessee. And um, I arrived at the studio, and this hulking, surly-faced, intimidating guy rolled down the tinted window of his big black SUV, and he said, can I help you? And, and all I knew to say in that moment was, I'm, I'm the groom. <laughs> that, that's all Misty had told me. And so um, the dude was wearing sunglasses, and I remember feeling uh, like I was in a staring contest with the Terminator or something. And, and then Arnold Schwarzenegger, circa 1987, he dropped out of his SUV, and he told me to wait right there. And he went inside. He came back out a couple minutes later and said, you know, go on in. So I'm walking around the studio for what felt like half an hour, meeting wardrobe and makeup people, um, shaking hands with assistants. I'm speaking with a photographer. And then this really sweet lady, the photographer's wife, she walked up and she's talking with me. And then she asks, do you know what you're doing here? I'm the groom. <laughs> um, and she leans in, she smiles, and she says almost in a whisper, this is for Taylor Swift's new album. Um, and I must confess, I knew next to nothing about Taylor Swift or her music, but even still, I understood that she was a very big deal. And so my heart kind of just fell out of rhythm for a moment, like a, like a four-year-old kid on a kick drum, and my mouth went dry, kind of like it is right now. And, and I was struggling to swallow, and, and spit was collecting in the back of my throat. I thought I was going to choke to death and die. Uh, so I excused myself. I went to the restroom to try and regain some semblance of self-assurance. And, um, you see, I knew that I was in way over my head. I did not belong there, um, but I couldn't let them figure that out. So I splashed my face with some cold water. I took a couple deep breaths, and um, I exited the bathroom. And a minute or two later, Taylor Swift comes out, and she, like, smiles at All-American Nashville smile, and she, she introduces herself. She shakes my hand. Hey, I'm Taylor. Hey, I'm the groom. Um, <laughs> We all left and headed for this 19th century antebellum mansion, sitting at the end of this long, tree-lined gravel driveway. Um, waiting for me there was this suit, perfectly fitted to my measurements. Um, I threw it on, and we, we started the photo shoot off to the side of the mansion at this uh, small gazebo that they had like ornamented with white lilacs. It looked really nice. Um, the photographer had Taylor standing inside with an arm wrapped around one of these beams looking as important as royalty. He had me standing at the bottom of the steps with my suit jacket thrown over my shoulder looking like the help. And I, um, I held her hand and I leaned in for a kiss and never making contact. Um, and I just remember light was like reflecting off of this Valentino dress that probably costed more than I make in a year or two. And, I leaned in towards it, towards the glow, as if I was being like summoned by a UFO tractor beam. And then the photographer started giving us all these cues. Um, you're flirting, he said. You're having a good time. Smile, laugh. So we smiled and we laughed, kind of following his direction. And then Taylor, I think in an effort to make our interaction more believable, more natural, she started up some small talk. So, she said, would you rather live in a lighthouse or on a houseboat? On a houseboat, I answered immediately. Um, and I had a reason. I said, because I'd like to be able to travel places. Um, but then I started second-guessing myself. I'm like, wait, are, 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 all travel, are all houseboats actually travel-ready? 
you know, or do some of them just kind of like float in, in place? And I, I shook it off. I was like, you know, questions will ask God. Who knows? Um, uh, and then I thought, you know, it's, it's, it's my turn to, to ask. So, so what about you? And she said, a lighthouse. And that was that. So <laughs> it, got, it got quiet for a minute, which I took to mean it was my turn to ask a question. Um, and I kind of thought for a minute. And um, I asked, so do you like music? <laughs> and, and in my defense, in my defense, I was trying to be ironic. I was, I was trying to be clever. And then Taylor Swift looked down at me uh, in her Valentino dress um, with those like perfectly symmetrical facial features that God only gives famous people. <laughs> probably because he knows that their faces are gonna end up on magazine covers and big screens and all that good stuff. Um, she's looking down at me and she says, uh, she says, what? Um, and I look at, I'm, I'm like staring at my feet at that point. N never mind, nothing, I say. Um, realizing immediately that I will forever remember that as the moment in time I tried and failed to make Taylor Swift laugh. And I was humiliated. Um, so. Uh, we finished up some more shots at this gazebo. We made our way to the entrance of the property, um, and the photographer had us run up and down this driveway hand in hand, um, and it was blistering hot. Um, but in that moment, I'm thinking to myself, am I supposed to try, like, try and look sexy, or am I supposed to, like, am I supposed to smile like it's Christmas morning? You know, what is my motivation? Like, what am I feeling? But then I realized I don't know how to project, like, the sexy vibe, so I smiled as if I was, like, opening a present or something. And then we finished the photos, and I found one of the assistants, and I asked her how it looked, and, um, and she said, well, you looked happy. Um, I was like, nailed it. Um, when, uh, when Taylor Swift's CD was finally released, uh, my mom called me to tell me she had bought several copies, which I took to mean a case. And um, I had just woken up. I was still half asleep. And um, she said, Sean they didn't use your photos. And I could just, I could hear the sadness in her voice. Now, in truth, I was disappointed. I'd be lying if I said I wasn't, but I wasn't in the same universe of sadness as her. Um, I was disappointed though. And, and I, I, I have a hunch that it had something to do with my bad joke that fell flat, but I was okay. Um, several months later, I got another call from Misty saying I'd been hired for another job. Um, this time, for a Taylor Swift music video. And I, at this point, I'm kind of feeling like one of her seasonal employees or something. <laughs> I keep getting these calls. Um, now, I saw it, like, had that aftertaste of rejection and disappointment. Um, I was a little gun shy, but, uh, but I took the work. The pay was good, once again, so I took the work. And, and I drove three and a half hours, it was, to the location of the video shoot. Now, when I, was arri or when, when I arrived, I was escorted to this, this holding room filled with like all of these actors slash models. Um, and in one corner there was like hair and makeup. In the other corner there was like a snack table or something at the far end set all of the talent. Um, so I like kind of found a seat. It felt like the first day of school. Um, I found a seat across from this guy who would not stop like smoldering. And like, uh, and he kept telling me about his acting slash modeling work in New York. Um, and then panic kind of began to set in. It was like bubbling up inside of me, like something carbonated or like bad heartburn or something. And, um, and then out of the corner of my eye, I see these, this group um, 
break out into dance in front of like the snack table, just randomly. They start, they start like dancing. Um, and, and then at the other end of the room, uh, another group, they're just changing clothes in plain sight. They're just getting, they're getting naked. And, and then the panic is growing because first of all, I've never been a great dancer. So there was, I, I wasn't about to join in on that madness. And then there was no way I was going to take off my shirt with all of like these six packs watching me. It, all of them, if it's any indication, they were all just like shredded, like Brad Pitt and Fight Club. Like they were just like, if you've seen the movie, you know. Like Google Brad Pitt and it'll, like Google will automatically fill in like Fight Club workout or something. Like everyone wants to know how to get shredded like Brad Pitt, they all were. So the panic was growing. Um, and then at this point, I noticed the stylist running her fingers through the hair of one of the actors slash models. Um, and it hits me I, that I had not washed my hair in a couple of days. Uh, <laughs> don't ask me why. And the panic attack was in full swing. I mean, there was no way I was going to let this professional stylist run her fingers through my dirty, unkept, feral locks. It just wasn't going to happen. So it, the panic was just, it was taking me over. It was possessing me. And before I knew what was happening, it had me on my feet, standing in front of someone in charge, speaking the words, I have to leave. And she had a headset on, she had a clipboard, she had a walkie-talkie, and she, just, she was just staring blankly back at me. And I apologized, and I headed for the exit. I got in my car, and I went through a fast food drive-through. I bought a chocolate-dipped ice cream cone, um, and, and I began the long drive back home. In that moment, something, um, it's not gonna seem sensational, but for me, it was kind of incredible. Something kind of incredible happened. I sank my teeth into that cold, brittle chocolate shell, and then that sweetness of the soft serve, it hit my taste buds, and a smile, it just stretched across my face. I was happy. Looking back, I, I realized it wasn't simply panic that, that drove me away from that video shoot. Um, that, was, that was more of like a symptom. What drove me away from that moment, and, and I haven't returned to that since, what drove me away from that moment was this realization that what I wanted to be uh, wasn't what I wanted to be after all. Um, growing up, I, I, it was my dream to be an entertainer. It's, it's what I thought I wanted. Um, but that chocolate dipped ice cream cone, that thing did more for me <laughs> in about the 30 seconds of its short life than, than my very brief stint in the entertainment world ever did. I, it made me happy. So. Taylor Swift gave me two opportunities to fulfill a childhood dream and potentially begin a life as an entertainer. But in actuality, she was my unwitting inspiration to finally let go of that dream and to uh, pursue another one. Thank you. Sean Bess is a writer living in Nashville. You can find him on Instagram at Sean Bess. If you want to hear more of our stories, obviously subscribe to this podcast. We'd love it if you would even share it with a friend. But 
also make plans to join us for one of our live events. Our next one coming up will actually feature stories a lot like the ones you've heard today. It will be at the Avon Theater in Birmingham, Alabama on Saturday, September 22nd, and our theme will be Humiliated, Stories of Embarrassment. Get all the info and your tickets at our website, arcstories.com. And that's our show for today. Thank you for listening to the Arc Stories podcast. I'm Chris Kinsley. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Chris Kinsley. Arc Stories is at all those places too, at Arc Stories. This podcast is produced by me and Arc Stories director, Taylor Robinson. Preston Loving Good composed our theme. Special thanks to Eric Chapman from Symmetric Sound for his audio expertise, as well as to Betsy Lee, Audra Whaley, Aaron Moon, Literally Smith, Ryan Whaley, and Katie Ballou for making this episode possible. If you like our show, please rate us and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We've made it really easy for you. Just go to arcstories.com slash Apple. And while you're there, be sure to look around the rest of arcstories.com. You can listen to other stories. You can stay up to date with all of our events. And you can even submit your own story to tell. After all, we are always asking, what's your story? <laughs>